All right. Open up to Revelation chapter 10. All right, continuing on through the book of Revelation, where we stopped last week, uh, we saw the sixth angel blow the trumpet. So we've seen the, um, the breaking of the seven seals to open up this um, scroll that only Jesus, only the Lamb was worthy to open up to declare the, the consummation or the fulfillment, the, uh, the completion of God's plan. And uh, we saw those seven trumpets, or we've seen six of the seven trumpets uh, that are to be blown showing God's judgment on, uh, on His creation, on those who have not accepted Him. So what we've seen so far is as God's judgment is blown out or is, or is poured out, these trumpets are blown. We've seen that this is not a, a pretty picture. We've seen um, a third of the seas be turned to blood, a third of vegetation be destroyed, a third of uh, the, the, the sun and the sky, the, the, the sun and the stars and the moon be darkened or be dimmed. Um, we've seen, um, last week we saw, uh, how much was it? It was, um, sorry I lost myself, but we saw... A third of mankind in chapter, or chapter 9, verse 15. A third of mankind being killed. And so we saw at the end of last week in verse 20, where it tells us that the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze, stone and wood. So we talked about how when all of this is going down, that God has sealed the believers who are on the earth, and He has made a declaration that when these judgments come, they will harm those who do not know Jesus. They will harm those who have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, but those who are believers, they will be protected from the locusts that come, from these plagues that come. They will be safe. And we talked about how this is still a period of grace. This is still a time of grace where even though, um, even though some of the worst things that you can ever imagine are happening, the earth is literally being destroyed. Humanity is literally being ripped apart. It is still a moment of grace where God's grace is still out there. As people are suffering, as they see believers not having to go through the suffering, it was a declaration of God's grace that if you want to escape judgment, if you want to escape the penalty of your sin, Jesus Christ is the way. So kind of one of the themes that we've seen through all of this so far is God's grace still continuing. The last week we ended where there's this, this really sad statement, those verses that we just read, that the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plague, so the two-thirds left um, still alive, not counting believers, their hearts have become so hardened that there is no desire for them to repent. No matter how bad things get, no matter how much judgment is poured out, no matter how much wrath is poured out, their hearts have become so hard towards God, so hard towards His grace, so hard towards His love, that he has, they have no desire to repent. And so what we have in chapter 10 is we have a little bit of, we have a little bit of a break. We don't jump right to the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet happens at the end of chapter 11. So we kind of have this break. And in this break, we have for John a time of reaffirmation of his message. Because the message that John is bringing in this book of Revelation, it ends 
On a high note, it ends positive. It ends with with Jesus setting up His throne, with Satan and evil being destroyed and cast away forever. It ends beautifully and awesomely. But here in the middle, here in the middle, it is a tough pill to swallow with everything that is going on. And so I think what is going on here is that God is giving some encouragement and challenge to John by reaffirming His message. And I think what we can take from this is to remember that the message that God has given us, the message of grace, the message of having a standard, the message of righteousness, the message of um, God having a standard and us proclaiming the gospel because we've all broken that standard and we all need God's grace. It's a, uh, an encouragement and a reaffirmation for us to proclaim and stand by this message. So it's, it's only, chapter 10 is only 11 verses. Um, so... We'll see how long it's going to take. I'm, I want to say it's not going to take us long, but every time I do that, I end up becoming a liar. So um, let's just kind of go. Well, let's just read the first seven verses. We'll stop, and then we'll read the, the last few verses. Uh, so um, Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, it says this. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud and a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to the, excuse me, but in that day, but it, excuse me, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be revealed just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now, and I pray that right now as we open up your word, as we open up your truth, God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would encourage us. Father God, I pray that you would remind us of the importance of the message that we have, the mission that we have to take it out, uh, but also the, uh, the seriousness and the solemnity of it. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we see or that we take notice of is this divine messenger. So verse 1, it says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head, uh, and his face was like the sun, and his leg like pillars of fire. Now, make no mistake, this is an angel. There have been some commentators or some uh, preachers throughout time who have said that they believe that this was Jesus. Uh, The majority don't believe so because nowhere in Revelation is Jesus called an angel. Uh, And here it tells us another mighty angel referring to some of the other angels that John John has already seen. But I want us to take note of a few things. If you flip back in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Look in verse 12. Um, This is where we see John having his vision of Jesus before he gets those uh, messages to the seven churches. It says, Then I turned to see the... Chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. All right, now flip over to chapter 4. In chapter 4, John has a vision of God sitting on his throne. Look in verse... um, Well, let's just start in verse uh, 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and all around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. In those two descriptions of God and Jesus, we see some of the some similarities with this messenger. There is the uh, the the brightness with Jesus. We saw the bright uh, the the whiteness of his hair, the the brightness in his eyes. We saw the uh, the legs that were like burnished bronze that had been uh, refined in the furnace with this angel. We have um, the face like this uh, a bright light. We have um, his legs. It says uh, are like pillars of fire. His face was like the sun. He has the rainbow over his head. Uh, just like God on the throne had that emerald rainbow encircling him. And while the angel is not God or the angel is not Jesus, I think that there is some stuff that we can kind of gather from this. And, And one of which is that these angels, the more they were in the presence of God, the more they reflected God's glory. The more they reflected God's presence. In fact, that's what they were created to do. They were created to reflect and to declare to uh, creation of how awesome and how beautiful and how powerful and how incredible God is. In fact, think back to the Old Testament. There is story after story of people who... um, come into the presence of an angel and they immediately, it says, they fall down on their face and the angel has to say, no, no, I'm not the one to be worshipped. He is. I'm just like you in the sense that I'm one who who worships God. And it's because they had an impressive, powerful uh, view. The way they looked, the way they uh, appeared was was. Impressive. It was, it was frightening at times. It was powerful because the angels spend all of eternity standing before God. And their purpose and their creation is to look and reflect God's greatness in the, the, the most powerful, the most immense ways that they possibly can. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 12 through 15, we have a description of Lucifer, Satan, before he was cast down out of heaven. Listen to how he is described. It says, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, that's king of Tyre is a reference to, uh, to Satan, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, uh, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. The, the, the picture that, that, that Lucifer, as this angel before he fell, is this picture of one who is made of jewels, or at least who is covered in jewels, meant to magnify, meant to praise, meant to reflect the greatness, the beauty, the glory of God. And so we have this picture of this angel coming down to give John, to, 
really challenge him and encourage him with this vision and with this message. It is a picture of us showing that the more we are in the presence of God, the more we reflect who God is. And while this is true for the angels, I believe it's true for us. The more we spend time in God's Word, the more we spend time in prayer, the more we spend trying to do like we talked about this morning, uh, pursue and, and have our lives aimed at honoring and glorifying God, the more we spend um, like Jesus would do uh, when He was on the earth where He would spend His mornings uh, with God before He went out in the day. The more we spend time, whether it's mornings, afternoons, or evening, with God in His Word, in prayer, it's going to impact and affect our lives and cause us to look more like Christ. So we have this messenger coming down. Let's do verses 2 and 3 because what he has with him is this scroll... Well, let's just read verses 2 and 3. It says, He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a roaring liar, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. So this angel comes down and he has this little scroll. So we're going to jump ahead just for a second, just so we know what the scroll says. Go back to, or jump ahead to verse 11 in Revelation 10. It says, And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So we'll get here a little bit more in depth in a second. But the the scroll that he was given was a continuation of the message that he has already been given. A continuation of the prophecy that he has already been given. This prophecy of the apocalypse. This prophecy of the end times. The scroll that he was given was a continuation of this. And this is an encouragement. It is a challenge to him to say, continue on. Push forward. I understand things look bleak now. I understand things look difficult. I understand things look hard. But understand this message has a purpose. Continue on with this message. And with the angel, we see him standing on the land and the sea. We see his power, the voice like a lion. Um, once again, kind of reflecting the, the voice of uh, the one on the throne whose voice, or I mean, excuse me, of Christ, whose voice was like many rushing waters we saw back in chapter 1. But then it says, when he speaks, he initiates the seven thunders. Look back in verse 4, he says, Um, Or verse 3 says, When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. So what are the seven thunders? Look at verse 4. And when the seven seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So what are the seven thunders? I have no idea. John was told that what you've just heard, do not write it down. What you have heard is not for uh, the public. What you've just heard is for you to hear, for you to see. Now, we have no idea what that is. Maybe it's a, uh, a continuation or, or more explanation of the judgments that are to come. Maybe it's more encouragement. Maybe it, we, we have no idea. And so we could guess all day long, but that doesn't really do us any value. But there is something I believe that we can take from this. There is something that we can learn. There have been times throughout the Scriptures that God has commanded those He was giving His message to to not tell other people what He had told them. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So God told Daniel, what I'm telling you to write, don't tell anybody. What I'm having you write down, seal it up. No one else sees this. 2 Corinthians 12.4 says this, 
and he heard things. Paul is talking about someone who got called up into the third heaven. He's talking about himself. Uh, He's going for humility as he's talking about it. But he says, and he heard things that cannot be told, told, which man may not utter. So Paul says when he had this experience where he got called up to heaven, he saw things and heard things that he was not allowed to tell other people. That there have been times within God's declaration to mankind, there have been times as God declares His Word, as God declares His truth, that He has told things to people, but then He says, look, this goes no further. You tell nobody else. So why would God do that? In fact, why would God even tell us that He has revealed truth to some people that He is not revealing to others? What is the purpose of this? What is the goal? What do we, why is it even included here if we cannot know about it? And here's what I believe that we take from this. I believe that this teaches us or it encourages us to learn about the sufficiency of Scripture. To learn that what God has given us and to accept what God has given us in His Word from Genesis to Revelation. That what God has given us when it comes to revealing Himself, what God has given us when it comes to revealing who He is and how He works, what it gives us in revealing how God wants us to live, what it gives us in regarding to uh, what's going to happen in the future. What we have in the Word of God, it is enough. It is enough to define our faith. It is enough to encourage our faith. It is enough that we can spend an entire lifetime studying God's Word, and God can use it no matter how many times we've read it, no matter how many times we've studied it, to challenge us, to encourage us, to convict us, to build us up, to do whatever it is that we need to meet us wherever we are at. And the reason why I want to stress this is There are some within the church who look for experience or look for uh, some revelation of God outside of God's Word. And what I believe that we see in these, just these three verses, this um, not telling what the seven thunder says, Daniel and Paul both being told not to record or not to let uh, be made known the things that they have seen, the things that they have heard, the things that they have written is it tells us that what God has given us, what has been written down, what has been not just declared but recorded, it is enough for us. <coughs> In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, it says this, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So Paul says, now in that passage, you've got people saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow this teacher, I follow this teacher. Paul says, look, the teacher is not the focus. The teacher does not receive the glory. God receives the glory. You follow God's word, not the person. And you do not go beyond what is written. Meaning, you allow God's word to shape your faith. You allow God's Word to shape your understanding of God. You allow God's Word to define for you what it means to know Him and to love Him and follow Him. I know I've talked about this before, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but my biggest uh, complaint with the the best-selling book, Jesus Calling, is the whole method behind what she wanted to do is she's decided, the author said, I wanted to know more about God than what the Bible says. 
The Bible says this about God, and I wanted to know more. And while that might be a noble desire, what God has revealed to us in His Word is what God has revealed to us in His Word, and we are not to go beyond what is written. We allow God's Word to define our faith, to define what we know about God, and we are content with that. Because once we get to heaven, we'll get to spend all of eternity learning and learning and learning more about God, never be exhausted in that knowledge and in that experience. But here on earth, we take what God has given us, God has purposefully given us, because there are things He said, nope, no one can have that. That's locked up for right now. That's hidden. That's special. That's set aside. Here's what I want people to have. The fact that we have this is enough for us to know and trust God. All right, verses five through seven. It says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it. This is a declaration of God's sovereignty and control over all creation. He says that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So what is this? There's no more delay. What is he talking about? This is an encouragement and a reminder to John that we are moving to the end. If you remember, we have seen at different spots in Revelation so far, the believers crying out, sitting before the altar of God, crying out, when is the time where you bring about judgment? When is the time of our vindication? When is the time when all things are made new? When is the time when you fulfill your plan? And he says, now there is time We're moving to a place. There will be no more delay. We are moving to the end. We are not holding back. We are pushing forward. And as we see this, as John is told this, This is, is, and this is kind of moving us to the end of the chapter and in, moving us to the purpose of this, is this is both, both good and, and, and not so good. It's bittersweet, you could say. Because it's great because it means that God is fulfilling His plan. God is fulfilling what He has declared. God is fulfilling what He has said. But it's sad in the fact that this is an end of God's long suffering. That God's patience, as we move to the end, and He says there's no more delay. God's patience, is not that it's going to run out. God's patience doesn't run out. But God is moving to a place where His patience, in the sense of seeking people to come to know Christ, His patience is about to stop. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient right now for the purpose of people coming to know Christ. God is patient right now for us to go out and live a life that declares the greatness of God so that people might turn to Him. God is patient right now that that we might go out and share the gospel, go out and invite people to church so they might hear the truth. But there comes a time where there is no more delay. There comes a time when this patience ceases, this patience stops, when God's judgment is brought completely. And, and, and that's the, the, the bittersweet because the, the sweet part, the great part, is the fact that we get eternity. We get heaven. We get to, to know Jesus forever and be with Him. No more sickness. No more sadness. No more pain. 
But for those who don't know Jesus, they're coming to an end of God's patience. When God says, all right, this is when the story is over. This is when time is over. This is when creation is over and we get the new heaven and the new earth and God sets all things up for eternity. Patience is is done. There comes a time when grace is taken off the table. when, When there is no more option for salvation. Now, so far we've just seen the hardness of men's heart. But what this says is there is coming a time when the the serpent is locked away, when he is destroyed, when, when all those who are God's enemies are locked up under judgment. There is a time when God's patience is over. And that leads us to the last point, and it's kind of the point of all of this. And it's a reminder that as we take our message out, That there is both sweet and bitterness to it. Look at verses 8 through 11. It says this, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, in my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Two things really stand out in this part of the passage. One, he was commanded to eat the scroll. And the, we've seen this before in, I believe it is uh, Ezekiel. Um, he was told to eat the scroll. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. We've seen this, and the idea of this is as we take God's Word, as we take God's message, as we take the message of the Gospel, as we take the message of God's greatness, as we take the message of God's worth, as we take the message of God's glory out to the world, that it is not just a a list of facts that we are taking out, like we're uh, reading someone's, uh, like an athlete's statistics off the back of their playing card. We're not taking like baseball cards of God and saying, okay, God uh, did this, and then He did this. Here's his, uh, his, his home runs that He did. Here's His strikeouts. We take God's Word, and we don't just kind of memorize facts or, or know truth just so we seem smart. We take God's Word, and we... We take it into our lives. It's, it's like we eat it. It's like we ingest it. It's like it becomes a part of us. That we're not just kind of these spiritual robots kind of uh, stating back facts about God or, or just quoting verses just so we can say that we have spirit or biblical knowledge. We take God's Word and we allow it to take root into our life. We take God's Word and we allow it to change us. We allow it to shape us. That is, we declare the Gospels. We declare the greatness of God. We're not just repeating facts. We're speaking as those who have been changed. We're speaking of those who have encountered God. We're speaking of those who have been saved. We're speaking of those who have been changed by God's Word, by God's truth, by the Holy Spirit of God to know Him and to love Him. It is not just knowledge and facts, but it is a life change by God. So this idea of eating the, uh, the scroll is this idea that we are not uh, robots, but we have experienced God. And there's a relationship here that is changing us. And the things that we proclaim, the message that we proclaim, comes from those who understand the truth and desperately want to see others embrace it as well. 
Then the last thing is that we see kind of the duality of the message. As John is given the scroll to eat, he's told the scroll is going to be sweet in your mouth, but it's going to be bitter in your stomach. And when we take the message of God, when we take the gospel, when we take the message of the end times, when we take God's message, when we take this message that there's going to be a time when God vindicates all those who have trusted Him, when He brings us to uh, our faith to fruition, when we get to know Him for eternity, there's a bitter sweetness to God's message and the fact that We love the truth about God and His grace and what He has done for us, the love that He has shown for us. But at the same time, we understand that for those who do not know Jesus, for those who have rejected Him, for those who have never heard, for those who do not want to follow Him, whether they've rejected the gospel or whether we're looking at the end time, to reject Jesus means judgment. To reject Jesus means punishment. So as we look at the gospel, yes, it drives us to praise God. We are excited. It is sweet in the mouth to know God's love, to know God's grace. But it should pain us to think about the fact that there are those who do not know Jesus and who will one day, if not already, face the punishment, face the penalty of their sin. And so that should drive us right now while we have time, right now while God's patience is active, right now before we get to the end when God's patience stops. It should drive us to, yes, be thankful of the grace that God has given us that we have tasted that is sweet, but allow that bitterness in the stomach to drive us to say, we want to see people come to know Christ. We want to see people's life changed because we understand that with the message of sweetness of God's grace, On the flip side of that coin, there is a message of judgment and justice if we do not accept Jesus Christ. This is a message to John, kind of at this halfway point in this book, before we get to the bowls of wrath that are poured out, before the seventh trumpet that is blown. It is this message telling him, look, you're going to take your word, you're going to take this message about kings and other peoples and other languages. We've still got a story to tell. There's still stuff to go on. Yes, I know this has been difficult. I know the end is coming and the end is going to be great. But you've got to understand that that as you move forward, yes, there is the sweetness of God's victory. But when God is victorious, He is victorious over someone. He is victorious over something. And that is His enemy. And God's enemy is not just Satan. But God's enemy is all those who have chosen Satan over Him. And when God is victorious over His enemy, that is sweet. But it means that enemy has to be judged for their sins. There's a sadness that comes with that. Because yes, that's what we all deserve. But we also know that there was another option if people would have just turned to Him. So as we close out tonight, like we have been doing, I just want us to spend a time of prayer. And as we've done several times, because I think this is kind of a theme running through the book of Revelation, I want us to spend some time praying for the lost. Because look, we don't know if the end times are going to start tomorrow or they're going to start in 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. No idea. Only God knows the time. It's what Jesus said. And so, God's patience is still living and active. It's still uh, the opportunity to engage in God's patience and engage in God's grace is still available.
So let's take a minute of just silence and just in your seat where you're at, pray for someone that you know who does not know Jesus. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody. Pray that they would come to know Jesus. They would place their faith and trust in Him before it's too late. Whether that means that the end happens, or whether that means their life ends before they get a chance to accept Him. Because no one is too old or too progressed in life. No one is too far away from God to not turn to Him and to experience His grace. So let's take a moment, take a minute of just silence, spend time praying at your seat, and then I'll close us out in a word of prayer in just a second. Father God, we come before you now. And God, we come before you thankful and excited that you are a God of grace. God, we come before you because what you have offered us is greater than anything else, God. That you have offered us a relationship with the creator of the universe. You've offered us forgiveness. You've offered us life. So Father God, there's a part of our message, God, that is super sweet. But Father God, we understand that for those who do not accept you, God, there's a bitterness that comes with that. So, Father God, we lift up our friends, our neighbors. Father God, we lift up our co-workers, our family members. God, we lift up those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray that before the opportunity for grace, the opportunity to engage in your patience ends. Father God, whether it's because the end of time comes or whether it's because the end of life comes. Father God, I pray. God, I pray for your grace. God, we pray for salvation. Father God, I can think of people who are here on Sunday mornings. God, I can think of family members who do not know You. And Father God, I pray. God, I pray that You would break through the lies that Satan has told them. I pray that You would break through the hardness of hearts. Father God, I pray that You would convict them with Your great love and Your great grace. And God, You would draw them to Yourself. You would draw them to salvation. Father God, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in this room. Father God, burden our hearts, Father God, for the gospel. Father God, like John who had this bittersweet experience with this scroll, Father God, every time we think of the beauty and the greatness of the gospel, Father God, let us also be burdened by those who don't yet know you. Father God, let us experience on a daily basis this this duality of the message. Father God, that it is a beautiful thing, but for those who have rejected it, God, it's a, it's a terrible thing. God, Paul said that the, the message of the gospel, that it's a, it's a stumbling stone, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of, of, of sorrow and of horror and of punishment to those who have rejected. And so, Father God, burden our hearts. Give us the opportunity. Let us take every chance you give us, God, to share the gospel with others. And Father God, use us God, use us here at Calvary Baptist. Use us here in Corning, Father God, to make an impact, Father. Here in this town, but also worldwide. By proclaiming and taking out the gospel that we might see others come to know you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.